answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad, uh, glad to be here today as we're talking about financial matters. Post it. Well, I shouldn't say post-election, but bizarre yeah. timing and bizarre yeah. outcome. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought the best part about the fact that there was no, there was no civil unrest because no not one— Not this week. Not this week. Yeah, we'll but see. maybe by the time it happens, everyone has calmed down. Yeah, by the way, we're recording this Thursday afternoon, so I, I seriously doubt anything major is going to happen on Friday. But what's been amazing is the financial markets— the previous week was a ugly week, worst week since March or April. The media likes to have these kind of headlines to shake people a little bit. And then this week, like the strongest week since April. Um, it, 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 again, you cannot time this market based upon headlines or any market based upon headlines. Well, and it just shows you how resilient the, 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 the markets could be. And investors want to believe and are believing in our future. And that's post COVID. That's what it says. Post Biden, Trump, whatever, right? Yes. Post Twitter, post Facebook, post. And everything. we all remember these jobs are they're all temporary positions for these people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, half of this, they all the house in two years. We get a chance if we want to bring them back or send them home. And yeah, I mean, they're all temporary positions. It's uh, anyway. I think. Uh, well, let's talk about money though. Yeah, well, I think that's calls. how we were tying the stuff into. But we will take calls <laughs> okay. today. And in the second half of the program, we've got Andy Stout, our chief investment officer, join us, talking a little more in depth about the markets, uh, our, our reactions to the elections, maybe what's happened to other periods of time during different administrations. How, what is the uh, statistical correlation between a Republican president and a Democratic president to the markets? It's... Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Andy is, uh, he works out of our Cincinnati there's, office. There's and, some that would probably prefer a, uh, the Democrats controlling the White House, the Senate, and the House. Others would say, I want the Republicans to be able to control all three. Um, I'm kind of a fan of gridlock. <laughs> I kind of am too. <laughs> I don't know if I want any new rules. <laughs> a little bit of a fan of gridlock. Uh, at least it seems like that's the only time there's a little bit of checks and balances on some of our spending and... At least when the other well, I don't. Uh, there hasn't been any checks yeah, and balances well, yeah, on spending right. in the last well couple years. God, that's for sure. It's yeah. just bizarre. It is something. Much. It's just how much. It's just like a blank check. I had I had coffee with a young gentleman a couple months back, outside social distance. The whole bit masked up. I was wearing a full hazmat suit. <laughs> I, was I wasn't really, but um, he was uh, twenty five or six in in. In financial services, I forget who he worked for. He's trying to get basically more into the fiduciary financial planning model. And he, he he's, was excited about modern money theory. And I look at him like, you're kidding. He, he, he was surprised that I wasn't a proponent of this kind of new theory that you can keep printing money as much as you want and it's never going to have any impact, which is essentially this modern monetary theory. Yeah. No, they call it MMT, yeah, modern yeah. monetary theory. And and he liked it. He was surprised that I wasn't uh, that I I thought it was all garbage. Well, someone's got to pay. <laughs> I just have never seen the history of a time yeah. in a society that's been able to print money from definitely. Yeah, I mean, you can issue as many bonds as you want. Much like, you know, I, I if I could get a credit card company to just continually give me money and tell them I, forever. Yeah, but you don't have to pay it off in thirty years, forty years. And it's forgiven at your death. Of course, you're going to debt forever. Yeah. Anyway. All right. If you'd like to join the show, if you have a financial question for us, uh, give us a call at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-996-7-84. 
And let's start off here in Cincinnati with Kurt. Kurt, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Hello. Hi, Kurt. Hi. Hi. I um I have questions about uh, annuities. Annuities. Uh, the situation is my uh, mother would like to cash in uh, some old annuities that she has, and then generously give the money to uh, her sons, me and my brother. These are annuities that were purchased uh, back in I think 2008 with a lump sum, uh, you know, one time purchase um they're non-qualified annuities and how much and since go ahead oh what and since then they've been gain, getting three percent interest every year since then so was... they've grown oh gosh i think uh, about a hundred and thirty thousand of the uh current value current value of them is i think three hundred and twenty thousand and she put in a hundred and thirty how much did she put in um, oh, what did she start with? It, uh, well, I calculated that she's earned $130,000 okay. okay. on both of them. And um, how old is your mother? She's 92. Oh. And why these annuities? Does she have any other uh, assets that she could give to you if she wanted to other than these annuities? No. No, this is what she's got. And what's your, what's your ballpark annual income, taxable income? My income? Hers. Oh, hers. 36000 It's uh, pretty fixed. It's uh, Social Security and, um, oh, I think a retirement kind of a pension that she has. And, and is she still living on her own? Uh, yes. And does yes, she have yes. any other assets? She has a condominium that she owns outright. She has a uh, automobile. Um, and, and she does have one other annuity with about $30,000 in it. Do you need the money or does your brother need the money? Brother does. Your I bro don't. How does he need, does he need a, and here's what we're trying to determine, right? So yeah. the, the challenge with annuities, the, the, the salespeople like to talk about how they're tax deferred growth. You don't have to pay tax on, but the, all that earnings will one day be taxed. And now that's what we're facing right, right, right. now. Right. And you're called like, how do we best structure this? So, and it will be either yep. taxed to your mother if she uh, cashes them in now, surrenders them now, or it will be taxed to you and your brother but when you inherit them. But might be the right way to go. Um, what? Um, but it's three percent, which is the issue. Is you're not going to get three percent on a fixed. It's. A, I don't know what the guaranteed annuitization table is. This was issued well thirteen years ago. Yeah, which, I think another. Another driving thing here is she wants to be very 50-50, uh, and, and these annuities are not. One of them is worth a lot more than the other. Like you're saying that she could give one annuity and, you know, just transfer the, the name to me on one of them, and then the other one to my brother, then one would be getting more than the other. Um but you yeah, can't, you can't, Pat, I'm trying, you can't, you, she's going to have uh, to incur the, the, the interest on good. it. She can't just t transfer well, that's what that. I thought. Yes. Yeah. I, I think she should just cash in. And it, what I, it, oh, I, I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. Okay. So well, here's a, here's a, one way to spread out the taxation is to do uh -huh. what's, is to do what's called an annuitization of the contract. And this is where she tells uh -huh. the insurance company, look, Keep my lump sum in exchange for a series of payments. Maybe it's over three years. Maybe it's five. Maybe five it's ten. Years. How much money does your brother need? You said you don't need it. Does your brother really, yeah. really, really need the money? Yeah, he really, he really, really. And how much needs does it. he need? Yeah. Well, as much as, <laughs> much as he can get, he's barely scraping along. He was laid off from his job a couple of years ago. Because I mean, one option uh, is your mother just takes a, a withdrawal of some portion and gifts it to him. And yes. Because the, that's, the, that's, yeah. the challenge well, is the way the taxes work, right? So right now, her well, taxes are almost nothing. She's a little old lady, and her taxes are almost nothing. She takes $130,000 gain from an annuity. It's added on to that other income. Now she's a $160,000 fat cat retiree and will be paying right. taxes as such. Well, well, she's she's okay with that. She's thinking time is short for her. She's being told that her heart isn't good. 
she's not in uh, just she's not in great health. And um, I was looking at it, thinking, okay, she's going to pay. Uh, that'll put her up in a uh, tax bracket that ends uh, that goes up to one hundred and sixty-four thousand. So I'm telling her, what if you take out almost all of it, or like take out take all from one? Let's leave some in the other so you can pay the $30,000. I would no way would I do that. Ah. I I mean, if I do that, I would rather do a different strategy and take a a stack of cash and light it on fire because it's almost the same thing you're doing. The way the tax, you can, she can withdraw some in 2020 and then wait till January and withdraw some more and spread it out over those two tax years. Or take okay. some out this year, some out in twenty one, and what's some your, out in twenty two. What is your income? Me, yeah. I'm making like a hundred and one twenty five a year, and my wife she makes about forty, so we're okay one sixty five, right around yeah. uh, one sixty five. And um, your brother's um, nothing. So what happens is this money's going to be. Yeah, he's so, he was making really good money. Uh, he was in the airline industry. Now he's uh, barely scraping by, can barely make payments, uh, never saved a penny for long term. He's older than me. He has nothing. You know, I, I have a lot in 401k. So, um, so he's looking at a pretty bleak future. So, so That's how he's always been. So <laughs> if, if your brother inherits this, he's going to be uh, in a lower marginal tax rate than you. Until, until he inherits the money and then he's until in a high tax bracket. Unless again. she decides to do a 10-year payout on these with uh, uh, a 10-year yeah. payout, in which case the money comes over a 10-year period and you name them as the beneficiaries today. Yes. And then your mother could do whatever she wants with the money that she receives. If this, yes, if this were, if I were in your situation, I like your concept, Pat, I would say, mom, here's what we're doing. You're going to annuitize these dollars in what's called either a period certain, like a certain number of years, which which would be a 10 year certain, a 10 year, you wouldn't, if you're too short, what if she, a a 10 year certain, what happens with that? Every check that she receives, a portion of it is a return of her own principal and a portion is taxable. She can then okay. gift your brother what his needs are. I mean, he doesn't need this much money all in one year. If he hasn't been responsible up until now, he's going to make poor choices with it. Seriously. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what I'm telling her. He's and then in three years from now, he'll be, well, he'll be coming to you. Scott, that's, <laughs> right? why, that's yeah. why I like this 10-year certain. So what you're going to elect well, is a, what, what's called a life and 10-year certain, which means if your mother right. lives to be 104, they will pay it out till yep. she's 104. She's 92. Mm-hmm. That's 12 years. I'm just, I'm just showing off my math skills, Scott. Or at a minimum, they're going to pay for 10 years, regardless whether she lives a day or eight years. By doing this, you're actually not driving her into a higher marginal tax rate. And you're putting some fiscal responsibility in this plan for your brother so that at least he's got a guaranteed income as a beneficiary for 10 years if your mother passes away. She could just, if she gets a check, let's say it's five grand a month, whatever the number is, she can choose to say, I'm going to give $3,000 to each of you or not, right? And then, because then her taxation is going to be very minimal if it's spread out like this. And if she passes away early... Um, oh, it's spread out for question. you for a few years where it's that's what, I mean, that's what, if she passed away today and you came to us and said, Hey, how should we receive this? would say, Kurt, don't receive it all in one year. It's too much tax on it. Let's take it out over the yeah. next, let's do a three year payout or something like those lines. All right. So I would do, okay, I would so. do a 10 year payout. Um, mm-hmm. so when you call the insurance company, you're going to ask them, you're going to say, we'd like to annuitize this. What are our annuitization options? And then they will give you a list of options. You want to go with 10 years certain, whatever says 10 years certain, which means a life annuity only pays out to the uh, annuitization. You do not want that. (laughs) You want to get this paid out over 10 years. Your mother gets the money. She'll withhold taxes. You can do five if you want, but it would drive you in higher taxes. Yes. And then when your your mother passes away, your brother and you would receive those stream of payments directly to you as the beneficiaries of the annuity. 50 50. And my guess, Pat, one. is the annuitization tables that are guaranteed in the contract are at that 3% rate. My guess is that they're pretty good. So that's how I'd, okay. that's how I'd manage it. So another uh, concern is the state that we live in, if, if she goes into a managed care facility, if she has to go in yes. and uh, start paying out, 
and then runs out of assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we believe the state starts paying, but first they yes. they make sure they've got most all states the work assets. that way. That's right. That's right. But there's a look back anyway. There's a look back anyway look in most back. states, which means that if your mother yeah. gifted all of this today and then turned yeah. around and went on uh, state aid, yep. the state would look yep. back 18 to 24 months, depending upon the state and say, hey, that's funny business. We think you were trying to uh, artificially impoverish yourself. Sure. Whereas if you right. annuitize them, you actually give up the principal for a stream of payments. And so they could put a lien against the estate, but only to the maximum of what that payment would be in most states. So only that's why. The, what do you mean? So, so what only happens? To is, the max. What well, do you mean? So what it means is if she's receiving $5,000 a month or $2,000 a month, they're going to take that as income if she goes in a long-term yeah. care facility. The annuitization, yeah. they may, depending upon the state you live in, claw back the rest of it. But if you, this is the way that people artificially impoverish themselves. And states do everything in their, every state's different, but states do everything in their power. To, to, if someone's got assets and they need, yep. it's like, why should this, why should taxpayers pay if they've got the assets? Right? So, I mean, that's. So, so Kurt, when we were giving you yeah. the advice, I'm glad you brought it up. We were thinking about the same thing, which is what happens if she goes into a long-term care facility and check that box. The annuitization is still the best. Yeah. Appreciate the call. And I mean, if you really want to do this right, you'd actually run some numbers with an accountant and or a, a good financial advisor. It's just pretty simple, kind of just Yeah. But what, what no one knows if the tax rates are gonna be five, ten years from now, but No. You can might make an argument that the five year or seven year certain would be would work out just as well. Yes. Those clearly, if it were my mom, I would do an annuitization on that. There's Scott, no way I'd take a lump sum. The reason I chose 10 years rather than five and seven is because of the brother that has financial difficulty. He's going to spend it. You know what's going to happen? Otherwise, he's, it's going to be 10 years down the road. Well, the time mom's going to pass, the, the condo he's going to spend that, it'll be 10 years down the road and he's going to come to his brother and, and say, say, I'm out of money. Can you help me? I need a little money for... Uh, yeah, but this way there's a payment for 10 years. Yeah. All right, let's continue on uh, with All Worth's Money Matters. 833-99-WORTH will get you uh, on our program. If you've got a question for us regarding some financial matters you're dealing with, uh, let's go to Colorado and speak with Mark. Mark, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Morning, guys. How are you? Good, Mark. Hey, question for you. I'm getting ready to where I can take early retirement next year. Uh, my income is only like 45000 Um my thought is I would still keep working, but I could put in the max into my 401k, and that would keep me just under the 18800 penalty and keep working, but I would be able to basically max out my 401k. Does that sound I'm confused? Like- I don't know. Pat, are you confused? Yeah, okay. uh, uh, keep working. You said you're going to retire next year. From where? I went. Um, well, I worked for a company and, and I could take early retirement, but my plan was to keep working. Um, the deal is, is if, cause I only make like 45,000. Okay. If I put in 26,000 to their 401k, that would keep me under that max where you could only make like 18,800. I don't know where that 18,800, you're talking for social security. Right, right. Oh, it, oh does it? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work like that. No. So okay. you're talking about if you you're, you're thinking about re- how old are you today? I uh, I'll be 62 next year. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're thinking about wait a minute. What if I retire early from my? What about if I start taking Social Security while early, I'm working? While I'm working, max out my mm-hmm. 401k to get my taxable income way down. Right. Right. The challenge right. is. If, and if you look, if you go back and you look at your last year's uh, W-2 from your employer, mm-hmm. it will mm-hmm. it will list out, you've got, a, there's two different taxable numbers on there. There's your Social Security right. tax wage base, which is okay. which is your entire salary. Then that's, it, they subtract out the 401k, and then there's your federal and state tax. Uh, which you pay taxes right. on, but that the, the second number is not the first number. So I like your thinking. And someone at the okay. Social Security Administration thought about this before, and it doesn't work like that. They're going no, to take no. t- your gross wages. Okay. I thought when you did, 
Yeah, I, I, know, I, I, know, your, I know you're right, but that's for taxes, savings. but it's not your Social Security wage base. Oh, okay. So Social Security wage base is different than your... That's, that's correct. Wage. Now, if you were self-employed okay. and you had $26,000 worth of expenses and were able to... Matter of fact, uh, you might be... Now, you'd have the pension issues, you'd have the same issue. But if you had other expenses that you can you can write off and bring your income down. Then they're, they're looking at the, what that net would be. But um, right. no. why do you want to start Social Security early? Why do you want to retire early? Well, um, the only reason I thought about doing that is if I did that, I would be able to get the max into my 401k and still basically got I would it. come out making more money. Oh, got <laughs> it, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's a good thought. Nope. Good idea. But no. Yeah, yep. yeah but no. <laughs> so, okay. Nice, right. well, nice try. Very much. I nice appreciate try. it. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to look at these things because yeah. every once in a while you find little loopholes in various places. So let's continue with calls here. We're going to go to Sacramento and speak with Tina. Tina, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi. Um, I have a question on Social Security. Yes. Um, I'm 56. And I'm wondering if I don't ever work again, do I still qualify when I reach age? Yeah, as long as you have 40 quarters of work, 10 years of work, you still qualify. 10 years? Oh, okay. Yeah, I definitely have like over 30 years. Okay. Um, Are you in a financial position where you can afford to retire and never have to worry about working again? Well, I don't know that I won't ever work again, but right now I'm just taking some time to watch my grandbaby. Oh, nice. So I'm just... Yeah, I'm just taking some years off, and and you just never know what's going to happen down the line. So <laughs> I just yeah. curious about so it, that. So it, it will be lower, but maybe not that substantially. The Social Security is very it's very progressive in the fact. Let's say you only earn ten thousand dollars a year in your working career history. My guess is you are earning more than ten thousand a year. Uh, Social Security is going to replace about eighty five percent of that of your wages. So almost all of it. Social Security. But the higher you go in your wages, you're still paying the same amount into Social Security, but it replaces a smaller and smaller percentage of your paycheck. So I'm trying to forget what the maximum amount, whatever. Let's call it, let's say it's let's say that you qualify now for two thousand dollars a month. Perhaps Correct. it would be nineteen hundred bucks a month if you didn't And you can actually that. play with those numbers if you go to the Social Security website and you can put what you your expected wages will be in the future. It will actually calculate it, assuming that there's no change in Social Security law, which there will be. Right, right. That, there, I know. That's there, always a factor. There will be. Quite frankly, you, it's hard for me to believe that they still pay out early at 62. Quite frankly, I, I don't quite understand why they do it, um, but they do. So are you saying that the, the amount could go down? Oh, most certainly will go down. The question is well, how you, much. So you will receive go down. a projection every year, and it's uh, it's based on yeah. you continuing to work until your retirement date. Oh, see, that was that was my second question. It's based on me, like keeping my salary. That's right. That I have. That's what the projection is. Yes. Yeah. But you can actually uh, you can play with that projection okay. if you're interested and put in zeros from now until age sixty-two. Tina, are you are you single or married? Single. What might be helpful for you, and not what wouldn't, what would I, <laughs> highly confident would be helpful for you to, to meet with a good advisor and do a, a kind of retirement plan for yourself, right? Because I think it's wonderful you're taking this time. It's a, you're not, not going to be able to have repeat this season of being with your young granddaughter, right? Um, so All I right. think that's phenomenal. And, and perhaps you can totally afford to do this and still have a great re retirement in the future. Um, there, uh, there might be some adjustments, but I think... The more clarity you can have there, the more peace you'd have about it all, and the more confidence you'd have in your future. Because otherwise, I, I mean, I, there's yeah, no you sense don't regret. To, you don't want to get to 62 and realize that you made a mistake when you were 57. Or every day regretting, like feeling guilty about doing this, thinking it's, you're jeopardizing your future when you're not. Right. So right. that's why you're asking a specific question. And our question is, can you really afford not to go back to work? Right. No, and I, I've thought about that, too. And, and, yeah. but, and, and if you're saying, look, this is really important to me, I, want, I need this season, great. Then what's our plan to make sure that Tina is going to be in a financial position in the event that one day she cannot work to make sure you've got income coming in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you exactly. living on now? 
Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, um, I've got a big severance and then, um, I have a, a rental house I'm selling. So you would definitely, you'd, oh, you'd definitely be, yeah, I would, I would, is it going to be closed this year? So you've well, got severance, taxable severance, and income from a, a sale coming in this year. Well, I'm actually I'm actually deferring the sale probably till next year, but for tax reasons, yeah. Thank you. Till January. And yeah. and, and so yeah. does this does the rental property generate any income? Uh, well, not right now. I I I'm fixing it up right now. Okay, all right. It all was, right. But well, you you yeah. yeah. So you, you're finding a way to have cash flow now. I think our concern is you're you're 56 today. What uh, what about when you're 66, 76? 86 or 96, right? I mean, that's, so I think meeting with a financial advisor and having a, your good, a good retirement plan would make some sense. We're taking a quick break. You're listening to All Worth Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Talking about financial matters. And um, we've got we've got Andy Stout uh, going to be joining us here in just a few moments. He's our chief investment officer. I want to talk about kind of his perspective on the markets and whatnot. Um, but before before we do, there was we had a previous caller. Was, our previous two callers were asking about Social Security. Some questions around around Social Security. And if you've listened to our program for any length of time, you'll know some of our thoughts on Social Security, which um, if you which is essentially uh, in planning for your retirement, it would be best if you can plan that you will not receive Social Security. Um, It'd be great to be in a financial position where you're financially independent and don't need Social Security. Obviously, that's a luxury that many people are not going to ever get to. But if Social Security is going to be, you're, you will be reliant upon some Social Security for your uh, retirement in the future. The question is, how much should you be banking on? Should you be banking on everything that's in the projection today? Because up be before this pandemic, Social Security was already in trouble. It looked like they were going to... Um, run out of money in 2034. Now, the latest that um, we've seen, this was, a, it was an article just in the New York Times in the last week or so. Now we're looking at maybe 10 or 11 years when we are... Out of money. The Social Security, it's so out what, of money. what will happen there? There's an automatic cut. Yeah, they won't do an automatic cut, in my opinion. I know legislation... The, the rules say that they will do an automatic cut, but they're not going to go to someone who has receiving $12,000 a year and this is all of their income, which by the way, uh, it's estimated that 40% of the retired population lives solely on social security benefits, um, 40 to 50%. The, what they'll end up doing is saying, much like how they collect the benefits for social security, They'll say, okay, income's over 100000 you or take whatever. the cuts. Income's over 50000 you take part of the cuts. Income's below 50000 you can continue on 100% of the benefit. Well, the, the, it, so the Social Security, the, the Congressional Budget Office report this last September predicted the trust fund would run out in 2031. But others, including the Bipartisan Policy Center, project it could be sooner than that. Bipartisan Policy Center, that's kind of an oxymoron. 90, this is pretty amazing. 25% of elderly households rely on Social Security for at least 90% of their income. Yes. And the majority of retirees, for the, a majority of retirees, Social Security is the majority of their income. That's right. Those people, I don't think... The government, they can't. They can't. If they cut that, they can't. So it's going to have to be made up somewhere. There's no, there's no extra for those families. That, that's, that's right. right. The, the, <laughs> there's no way for them to you, cut. You can't take a large population of 70-year-olds and make them homeless. Which is essentially 
what would be happening if because they've they're not huge checks for most of these people. Yes, and so this sticks with our theory. If you've listened to our show at all over the last twenty five years, if you don't need Social Security, if you don't need it to retire, then delay it as long as you can. It's funny. This article talked about if Biden. You, excuse me. If you don't need money for retirement, Social Security, you take it as soon as you can. If you need it, you delay it as long as yes. you can. If you need it, you delay it as long as you can. If you need it for your sustenance in retirement. If you think that you could do without, you should take it early. Why do you take it early? Well, because if you don't need it, you're most likely to be the ones that they actually stop sending the check to. You know what's funny? Or reduce it somehow. It's funny. Years ago, people I would be, argue with people. There's... Uh, uh, People would have an arguments with me because I've written, I write, I write every other week for investment news and industry periodical, periodical, and I write for some other things every once in a while. And I've written about this, and I'll get some flack for some other people. I used to about how the then that's not the rules. This was maybe ten years ago. I wrote an article where I compared it to the same way an analyst would judge the value of a bond. How what's much the likelihood what, of getting paid? What's the likelihood of getting paid? What you would start that with any sort of future income stream. What is the likelihood? Is there any potential for any degradation of that income stream? Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Of course you would you'd go through that. And if, if one, any rational person, how could you, you couldn't say that, oh, 30 years from now, that social security is hundred percent guaranteed just because the government said so now, of course not. They put the policies in place. They can change the policies. And they have over the years. Yes. Anyway, enough about that topic because uh, here at Allworth's Money Matters. Which reminds me of a little side. I was returning something to uh, Home Depot, a broken. <laughs> What's this? Uh, I was just telling about policies. I was returning a, a blower, gas blower to Home Depot because it was broken. It was less than a year old. And you they, don't get the electric ones, the battery charge ones? I'm part of the green team. See, I care about the environment. I, have, I'm too cheap. I actually have I'm both. Cheap. <laughs> I just don't want get cans of gas. In my so uh, I go to return it, and they said, "Well, we it's been used and it's more than three months old. You can't return it." And they said, "That's our policy." And I said to them, "Well, my policy is that I can return it." And they said, "Where did you get your policy?" I said, "I got my policy the same place you got your policy. <laughs> made it up. I just made it up." And did they return it? They did take it back. They did. Yes. They were very nice about it. Once I explained my policy about buying things that don't work, that I get to return them. They did bring the manager to the store, and he, he asked the same question. He told me his policy, and I told him my policy. And he said... They just don't want to have to deal with it. Well, I told him what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to go back to that store. I'm going to buy a brand new one of those. I'm going to take my old one, put it in the box, and return it so that it looks like I bought it yesterday. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> You probably wouldn't have done that, but that's what you were. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but I almost went there. <laughs> policy. But they changed policies. They're going to change policies with Social Security. You can bet on it. They have to. I mean, Biden had a plan. It doesn't really matter now because, well, as of Thursday afternoon when we're recording this, we don't know who the president's going to be. But assuming it's Biden, there's a uh, Republican-controlled uh, Senate. Yeah, there's not going to get any. There's Nothing. not going to be any major changes. So I don't know what's going to happen the next two years, frankly. No. Anyway, back right. to Andy Stout. Yeah, so Andy Stout is joining us uh, to be part of the program. Andy Stout is our um, chief investment officer of Allworth, um, and he's been on the on the program a couple times in the past, and you probably heard him before. And so anyway, Andy, thanks for taking some time to join with join us today. Uh, thanks, Scott. Thank you, Pat. Happy to be here. Uh, so we. <laughs> As of this moment, and I seriously doubt by the time this is broadcast on Saturday, we'll have a, a declared winner. Um, from from an investment standpoint, as the chief investment officer of almost ten billion dollars that we we manage for thirteen plus thousand clients, how concerned are you about the outcome of the election? Not really that concerned. I think you hit on the major point just a second ago, in that we're going to have a split government either way you look at it. So Republicans will control the Senate, Democrats will control the House, and the president, it looks like it's going to be Biden, but you know there could be some challenges along the way. We could see a, a delay of game from the, the Trump administration currently, but we're going to see a split government. But even if we didn't, and I see this so often where people get so caught up in, in the politics, 
and you're so worried that the wrong party, whichever side of the aisle you're on, but the, the wrong party wins, the worst-case scenario will play out. You know how many times the worst-case scenario has played out? Zero. <laughs> so, I think people's like, oh, no, it's going to be Bernie Sanders' policies in place. It's going to just be a train wreck for our economy. Or I, I, was, I was speaking to a neighbor of mine who happens to be a client this week, and he said, he said is it the phone been ringing off the hook from clients because of the election? I said, no, but it will. Once uh, it's determined and he said, why? I said, because it always does, uh, whether it's a Republican or Democrat wins the presidency, there is a constituent of our clients that are opposed to that. And they believe that the financial markets will reflect their beliefs um, and that the markets are going to go to. But there's no statistical evidence that says that. Is that correct, Andy? You're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at if you pull out your money and look at it, is it red? Is it blue? No, it's green. It doesn't care about politics. So if you want to look at the history of Democrats or Republicans, uh, going back to like 1928, uh, Democrats have had a higher under this policy, uh, under their uh, control. When a Democrat has been in the office, they've had a higher rate of return than Republicans on average. But uh, the broad stock, fair? you're talking about the broad but, stock market, right? I mean, stock market, yeah. regardless of what, what you think, the reality is under a Democratic and I would imagine a Republican would say that's because of all the policies that were put in place before the Democrats took over. And the Democrats would say this is the wise policies they put in place uh, while they were in power, and the Republicans screwed it up afterwards. But the reality is it's not that great, but it's a slight – it's been the, – the markets have moved up slightly higher while Democrats have controlled the White House than what Republicans since yeah, 1920. Yeah, that's absolutely right. How, how much? Yeah. How, what what – what? Is it a statistically uh, about, since 1928, 13% uh, to 6%. So it's a decent spread. But there's oh. a, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The presidential policy matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the economy. Part of the reason the Republicans is lower, the return is lower, is because of uh, Bush too. I cannot blame the NASDAQ bubble crashing in 2000 on President Bush taking office then. I mean, so we're going to attribute... The Nasdaq crash to Bush, even though he just took office right then, I mean, he had nothing to do with it. But yet, if we're going to look at these averages in a pretty elementary way, that's what it would tell you. Like, oh, it, it's Bush's fault. Well, it's clearly not, right? So presidential policy matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the economy. That's what really matters more. So would you say that monetary policy matters a lot more than um the Federal Reserve monetary policy and the banking system monetary policy matters actually much more than who the president or who owns the House or Senate? Absolutely. So, you know, Pat, to your point, when you look at what the president can do, they can't really do too much without support of Congress. The Federal Reserve, Chair Powell, uh, they can do a lot. And what they're doing right now, they don't need a you know approval from any quote unquote bipartisan you know committee or anything like that. They just do what they want. Right now, they're flooding the economy with money. We have rates near zero. They're not going anywhere for years. That's going to be very positive for uh, stocks when we look at future returns. This, this amount of liquidity out there, this easy policy to encourage lending and help juice the economy, that's a very positive for the stock market. And how long can this continue? Well, if you go back <laughs> to 2008, roughly, I don't know how many times people have told me the Fed's out of ammunition. They can't do anything more. Guess what? The Fed's a pretty creative group of people. I don't say they, they messed up and, and didn't quite handle too many things more right along the way. But they've been doing a pretty good job here. Uh, over the past couple of years, and especially in relation to uh, trying to help the economy during this uh, COVID pandemic. So how much more can they do? Yes, rates are at zero. I doubt they go to the negative rate environment like we've seen over uh, in much of Europe. But they can keep flooding the economy with money, with what they call quantitative easing, which is basically just buying up a bunch of bonds to get money into the system and keep long-term rates low just to encourage bank lending also along the way. They can loosen some uh, uh, regulatory standards here and there. So there's a lot they can do. Uh, they can create new loan programs. They, what they're doing right now, they're, buying, they're going out buying corporate bonds. Yeah. They're, they're, they're in the market. They're buying uh, corporate bonds, exchange-traded funds or ETFs, which is crazy to which think Which is about. essentially the government, which is 
taxpayers are buying debt from major corporations. Uh, lo- are loaning money to corporations. Yeah, including high-yield bonds, uh, uh, correct? Yeah, the, they, technically they had to be investment grade at the time of the program started, but they didn't care if they fall in, fell into high yield. And when the uh, the program started, you had a lot of big names that were high, uh, were considered safe bonds, and then they fell into high yield or junk bond yeah. status. So that was very intentional. They knew that was coming, uh, and they were able to just date things accordingly. So yes, they're in the high yield bond market, and they're actually you know they're out there buying the funds that own these things uh, in order to keep what we call liquidity going. So uh, there's the buying and selling of bonds happens pretty seamlessly and you have banks lending to each other. Cause the last thing we want is something like we saw in 2008 where liquidity dried up and banks weren't lending to each other. The money we were market all shut up. Our, yeah. yeah money market shut down. We were all afraid our banks weren't going to be open the next day. That's right. That's but, the last thing they want. But, but doesn't this cloud or obfuscate the visibility in the real economy by the fed stepping in there and supporting uh, the, the the bond markets in this manner? Unless they, well, they are the real economy. Well, I, yeah, that's a good point. I would say it, it really doesn't. I mean, we know <laughs> what the real economy is doing. It's terrible uh, right now. We're coming off of a shutdown. We still have almost 11 million people unemployed compared to where we were in February. We're nowhere close to our manufacturing output. Does it maybe make it a little bit harder to see what the true picture is? Sure. Does it help? I mean, but that's what the Fed does. They're trying to support the economy. Their job is policy to support the economy. If there were, I mean, if they didn't cloud it, there would be no Fed. And in that situation, then things would be a lot worse because we don't have anybody stepping in any to to lift the economy to support things. Because I mean, yes, Congress would be great. We could pass some sort of fiscal stimulus to help these people. But as you know, that's a little bit of a a roadblock right now. So I think what's amazing to me is how, first of all, I mean. March, we saw this uh, downdraft, which was kind of expected considering when the when the lockdowns first started happening, there was still a lot of unknowns about uh, the coronavirus and how lethal it was, et cetera. And lack of therapeutics at the time. Yes, correct. Didn't even know how to treat people well, yeah. right? And uh, so the markets took a big hit, which is kind of expected at the time. Economies are shutting down. Then we started having a little more clear pictures like, it's only certain parts of the economy are shut down. We can actually figure out a way to keep a lot of the economy still open. But it seems to, it, it's it, it remarkable to me how much the markets have rallied and really continue to rally. Last week was a, the week before last or whatever that ended a week ago was not a great week for the markets. But then it turned out that this week has been an extremely positive week for the overall stock markets. Are, I mean, are, are you surprised how well the stock markets held up and, and recovered? And is it a lack of alternatives uh, that's driving the uh, capital into the equity markets? Yeah, I mean, there certainly is. Uh, that The acronym for that, Pat, is uh, TINA, right? There is no alternative. So you got to put your money somewhere. Bonds are giving you zero. So where are you going to put it? Stock seems to be a, Tesla. a good option. Tesla options. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you so, 23? That's, that's what, there's a lot of that stuff going on, though. Yeah. And when we think back to March and, and February, from February 19th to March 23rd, that was the quickest drop ever from record highs into a bear market where we lost just about 30% on the S&P 500, which is a large cap blend stocks. Uh, and then what what did we see? And you see people start to panic, like, oh, I'm going to go to cash. And that's obviously the exact wrong thing to do because what happened? So you saw the quickest drop ever. Then you saw the quickest recovery ever out of a bear market. In just about six months uh, until the the middle of August, we hit new record highs in the middle of August. So, so many people panicked. And if you listened to your emotions and fear took over, well, then you missed out on one of the the strongest rally ever off of a bear market low. So that just kind of shows you, don't try to time the market. You know, have a discipline plan and stick to it. So am I surprised by it? trying to predict and market time things, it's an impossible game. The people who tell you that, yeah, now's the time to get in or out, they're trying to, they're trying to sell you something. And it's probably not going to work out too well for you in the long run. So Andy, as chief investment officer, why don't you explain briefly kind of our philosophy on investments about rebalancing the discipline behind that. And by the way, and what Andy's going to describe is not necessarily unique to Allworth. There's, I think it's kind of, um, well, not all firms do yeah, it but, this way. But those, this that, is what, 
those that are, are disciplined in their investment approach, I would hope most of them follow this. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do, uh, it is disciplined and we have a process that we follow. I mean, we've all heard the mantra, buy low, sell high. That's exactly what we're doing, but we're not relying on our intuition of when stock prices are low or bond prices are high or vice versa or whatever. What we look at is we look at where uh, our money and portfolios that we have invested for our clients, where they actually are. So say, for example, we have a client is in a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. We will look at that on a very regular basis. We don't look at it every day because there's a lot of studies that show you don't want to check it every single day. But on a very frequent basis, about every other week or so, we will look to see what their, where, the, where the stock bond allocation is. If it gets up to 65-35, so if it goes from a 60-40 stock bond, to 65, 35, which, which would happen when balance. stock prices rise, correct? Yes, when That's stock prices rise at a much quicker clip than what bond prices would rise, because they can move together. I mean, if stock prices go up a little bit, bond prices go up a little bit, that 60-40 is basically going to stay at 60-40. But when stock prices rise at a much bigger, quicker clip than bond prices, you're going to see that deviation. So things start to get a little bit uh, out of whack. And what we'll do is then we're going to go ahead and rebalance and bring it back down to 60-40. Now, should it fall to approximately 55 stocks, 45, so about another 5% so, uh, Andy, difference there? Andy, so, yeah. one second. so when it gets to 65-35, our discipline process says it is time to rebalance and we will sell the stock portion of the portfolio, the equities, to bring the portfolio back to a 60-40. So we have essentially been selling the thing that has been doing the best and buying the thing that has been doing the second best, correct? That's, correct. Okay. Or the worst, because yeah. he's just, you're looking at two things when a typical portfolio might have yeah, a dozen a, a or dozen, 14. Correct, or correct, correct. Okay. Then if, so that's why we bring it back into rebalance, because it's, it's risk. We're worried about risk, right? That's exactly right. So when, when people go into a portfolio, it's, it's based on their financial plan, how much risk they're willing to take, how much risk do they need to take, and maybe the advisor and client determine that it's 60-40 for whatever reason. That means we don't want to let it keep running forever and ever because all of a sudden that person uh, is exposed to more risk than what they're comfortable with. So you got to make sure that the risk that people are comfortable taking, that's what we're giving them, and you know, that's what we're doing. So if it gets up too high, we'll rebalance. If it gets too low, if stocks drop more than what bonds might do, it could be 55, 45. And then we're going to buy stocks so uh, to bring it back up. So essentially, we're buying low and selling high. That's now, the whole premise behind this. Now, now just with the caveat, every situation is unique. Not every client's accounts are invested identically. And uh, there's tax considerations on, on some accounts. And there's lots of other – but kind of on a broad scale for – if you look back at 2020 – when when did Allworth do the major rebalances, and what were those moves? So on average, uh, when we look at it, by just by following our discipline process, it ended up being actually extremely timely. Not that we're market, you know, uh, trying to read a crystal ball and, and predict where things are going to go. The first rebalance was on February 20th. That was one day after the market high on of February 19th. So turned up being pretty good to trim our exposure to stocks a little bit back to neutral, back to our target, not so underweighting, but just target. We ended up selling some stocks a day after the high, not because someone was sitting around thinking, oh my gosh, the stock market's so high. It can't stay this high forever. We better sell. It was just because our bands that we had put in place prior to 2020 dictated to, to your, you and your team that this is the time to do that, right? That's exactly right. And then we saw the stock market fall into the quickest bear market ever. And then on March 26, which happened to be three days after the market bottom, we ended up buying equities back to neutral because the stock portion got underweight relative to its target. So again, just following the process that we already had in place. And that's a, that's a key point that you just mentioned there, Scott. When people look to you know, make portfolio adjustments or investment decisions, it's a really, really, really bad idea to just do it on the fly, and it's going to be driven by your emotions. What's a much better idea is to have a plan ahead of time so you're, you can be more what I call proactive rather than reactive. 
So we rebalanced three days after the market bottom, essentially buying what was, you know, hurt, which was stock. So we brought it back to the target. And then we did another rebalance in, in the middle of June. And the market's been a little bit choppy since then, but essentially it got too, you know, moved too fast, too quick. And that we brought us back down to neutral there. Got it. So three, and these were the, I, I, I don't know of any other period of time when we did rebalances so quickly in, in, in such a short 30, period. 37 calendar days, right? Yeah. And, and so, Andy, when you, when you think about that, uh, you know, I interact with a lot of other firms, um, part of what I do at Allworth, and I interact with firms outside of Allworth, and they will tell me about their investment policy statement and their processes. And then the first question I ask them is, so what did you do this year? How did you follow those investment policies? And many of them said, well, this was a different, this was different this time. So we didn't actually follow our investment policy statements in our rebalance. I know, right? And I respond, <laughs> well, why did you have them in the first place? And they said, well, this is, this was different because of the pandemic. So we, we didn't feel it was appropriate to follow. Well, there, every time is going to be a little bit different, but you have to have a discipline in place to manage those portfolios or, or there's no sense in, in trying to control the risk at all. Right. And remember it's for the average investor, they want to talk about return. A good advisor wants to talk about risk because it's always risk adjusted returns, not just returns, risk adjusted returns. Clearly. Well, Andy, yeah, it's so always good having you on the program. And happy, happy to have joined. Thanks for taking some time and glad to have you at the helm there too. And the, the discipline, it's nice, it's nice that our chief investment officer doesn't get emotional and like, Oh, we're scared about this. Cause I feel that way at times. Yes. <laughs> right. I, I come to think of it. I've, we have yeah. a fiduciary responsibility to lots of retirees. It's yeah. an important deal. So anyway, thank you, Andy. You're welcome. All right. We're just about wrapping up time here. I just want to kind of remind you, most of our listeners listen to this program on demand via podcast. Uh, if, you're listening to this, you think, you know, I've got a friend that could benefit from this. Maybe it's even just that clip that Andy was just talking about. Just uh, send them the link to this. It's super easy, right? I mean, Pat, I know you send the, you did the few days ago, send yes. me the link to a podcast. Not, not our own podcast, by the way. I didn't send them <laughs> to our own podcast. You pod. are particularly good. <laughs> You'll send, but, but forward it on. And while you're there, uh, do a little review for us as well. We'd, we'd appreciate that. Anyway, we are out of time. It's great being here with you. We will be back this uh, same place next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. This has been All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McClain. This program has been brought to you by All Worth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.